All right, if you open your Bibles today to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, um, I want to um, preach to you this morning um, what, is, what is in my mind um, both the most unnecessary sermon in the world and yet a necessary one. How's that for an introduction? <laughs> So I'll try to explain that as I, as I move along, um, and then hopefully even more specifically explain at the end of the message. So the most unnecessary sermon in the world for Grace Chapel, and yet a very necessary sermon for us as we uh, move from generation to generation, okay? So we spent uh, the month of December in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. Very simple, very short, you will remember it. It just says this, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Paul is, of course, speaking of the unspeakable gift that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the unspeakable gift. Jesus is what prompts Paul here to create a word, unspeakable, to create a word to try to describe what a gift that Jesus is. And so, just remember for a moment some of the the, the attributes of this gift. That God has seen our great need and is not aloof to our need, but instead has not just stooped from heaven to speak to some angels to come and assist us in our need, But God Himself has, as John says, has come to tabernacle with us. He has tabernacled. He has come to dwell with us in the one who is named Emmanuel, God dwelling with them. He has dwelt with us personally, really, completely, Nothing lacking of the essence of the being of God in the form of this one named Jesus. Fully God. Of His glory we have beheld. We've beheld the glory of God as uh, as the only begotten of the Father. Filled. What do you need? Filled with grace. And filled with truth. Moses brought to us... The law, but Jesus Christ brings grace and truth. And so God has come to dwell with men. Praise the Lord for that. We could go, this is literally, not hyperbole, this is literally the series, that could be the unending series of speaking of the glory of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ then says that He is that thing that Jacob dreamed about long ago. He is that ladder that the angels of God are ascending and then descending upon. He is the one that joins heaven to earth. He brings the blessings, the inheritance, the power of heaven down to earth. And then He brings us back into the throne of God so that even right now, by faith, we are able to apprehend the power and the glory and the hope that is found, as, as Hebrews 6 says, 
the one who has already entered the veil, we by hope have laid hold on him and we are able to enter heaven both by faith and one day in reality. We shall be, we shall dwell with Him. The glory of God and the Lamb shall be the light thereof. There shall be no tears, there shall be no crying, there shall be no mourning. We shall reign with Him. It will be full, it will be final, it will be complete. And right now we live on the earnest of that through the power of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us, drawing us near with a heart of full assurance to God. We're able to come to Him in repentance. We're able to come to Him for help. We're able to come to Him at all times, in all places, for all needs. We're able to come to Him in praise. Able to come to Him in, in, in request. We're able to come to God. Is that amazing? You, sinner, but clothed with the full and perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, are able to come to God. I don't know about you. Um, (laughs) It was wonderful to spend a week with family, right? And our sinfulness gets fully displayed in spending a week with family. So that we had these incredibly precious times. We played Scrabble. We played Canasta. Um, we, we sat by the fire, we talked, we had devotions, and one night, my devotion was delivered through gritted teeth, not because I was angry, but I was so ashamed that just before devotion started, I had gotten so mad at Carson and Asher for saying that the Tigers were doing just fine when they were losing the game. Now, that's ridiculous, right? And yet my ridiculousness is on full display in front of my family, and I can't leave to go to the church for a holy time so I can come back in with this glow over me. But I'm right there in front of them, and now it's time for devotion. And so I said, look, y'all, does anybody have a song? I couldn't think of one. We sang this pitiful song. I don't know what it was. And I'm like, how do I, I'm, this, I'm, I'm being serious. How do I rescue this? And so I finally just said, look, I've got one verse. It's First John 1, 9, and I praise the Lord for it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and that's true right now in this room. It's, it's true of me, your, your dad and pastor. And complete idiot. It's true right now. I can come to God right now. Through Jesus Christ. And and, and it's all clean. Not because I can go back and wash away the last ten minutes. But it was clean before that ten minutes. And it was clean during that ten minutes. And it will be clean forever. And right now what I need is that practical washing again to remind myself and to remind you, and this is not, I didn't get this eloquent, to remind myself and to remind you that, that, that we, are, we are able to come to God and He really does practically forgive us. We can get right back up and keep right on going and not lay in this, in, in, in this, 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 this slew of despond forever, but we can walk in the power of what Christ has won on our behalf. And it's not just some sort of a elixir to, 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 to take away our 
temporary pain. It's not even that ibuprofen to give us a three-hour relief. It is real, and it is total, and it is final, and it is complete. And God, God is not angry with me right now because God sees me in the light of His Son, Jesus. That is an unspeakable gift. You can't buy that gift. You can't earn that gift. It's it's one. It's only bound up in Jesus Christ. Okay? I'm about to get off track. I need to get back on track. That's the gift. And Paul is, 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 is astounded at this gift, but not because he is in Colossians 1. Laying it out piece by piece by piece in a in a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a in a theological treatise. It's not what Second Corinthians nine is, but Paul is astounded at this gift because of what he sees the effect of this gift is in people that Paul is looking at in real human beings. So Paul is seeing the effect of the gift. What the gift has wrought in human beings. And he says, this is unspeakable. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, we just said, God has stooped to our need in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus, who thought it not robbery, be equal with God. It was not a thing to be grasped. Not something out of the touch of Jesus to be equal with God became nothing. Literally. Philippians 2. He made himself nothing. He took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness, as Romans 8 says, of sinful flesh. He he came to this earth. He left, as it were, he took off his robes, he took off his crown, he took off his jewels, and took off the adulation, and he laid it all aside. Not, 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 he didn't lay aside his glory, but he was, as if he was laying aside all this trappings of glory. And he came and he, he made himself a slave. It's pictured in John 13 when Jesus takes off the robe and he goes down on his knees. He's taking on the form of a slave. And he is washing the feet of his disciples who don't understand what he's doing. And they're appalled that this woman they recognize as being great is on his knees serving them. And he's serving them, having loved them. He loves them to the end. And he serves them not just on his knees washing their feet, but he goes to the cross and he bears the reproach and he bears the shame and he bears the, 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 he bears the complete um, uh, rejection and, 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 uh, and, and sentence of being worthy of death. And he dies upon that cross as a criminal. That's the lowest. He's executed between two thieves. So he stoops down to this level. Not just to living a good life, getting some sickness and dying a natural death. Not just getting in a car accident. But he goes to the death of a criminal. And justly so. Because he's bearing sins. He's, he's, become, he's been made sin. He's not, this is not just a, 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 an act of mercy. 
but he's actually guilty. Not because of his own omission and commission, but because the Father has imputed all the guilt of all his people upon his back. So that from both earth's vantage point, he's guilty, killing. From heaven's vantage point, he's guilty, let him die. That's how low he stoops. That you might be made the righteousness of God in him. Here's how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 8. He says it a lot more concisely. For ye know the grace of Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet through yet for your sakes he became poor. We're gonna move on, but just know that's that's just charged with power, what we just said. He became poor. Though he was rich, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Now the gospel comes with this glorious gift, and the gospel comes from Jesus with this equally, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a glorious response. We see the response when Jesus says to these fishermen, Come follow me. Now, there's some follow up questions to that, right? Some explanation. Where? Where are we going? For how long? How far? To what extent? What can we bring? What, what's going to be our provisions? How are we going to make it? He says, come follow me. And they left all to follow him. Why? Because they saw themselves as rich. This is the gospel. He was rich. He became poor. That we through His poverty might be made rich. Those who have seen the Lord Jesus Christ have, have, by, by the Holy Spirit have had the, the, the scales pulled away and have come to see the Lord Jesus Christ. They now see themselves as rich. I am lacking nothing. Psalm 23.1, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verse 6, I am convinced that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This was the the call, and people struggle with this call. Remember the rich man, the rich young ruler? He says, what else can I do? Jesus says, go sell all that you have and follow me. He's like, I don't know about that. I've got a lot of stuff. I'm not sure that I want to give everything to follow him. But Jesus would say, "This this is the call. Matthew 16, if any man will follow me, earlier in Matthew 16, it is, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, some say this and some say that. But, 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 but here's who I say you are. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon, you're so blessed. You're so blessed. Flesh and blood cannot reveal that to you, even though I'm right here before you. 
You see my miracles, you see my works, you see my power, but flesh and blood can't show you that. But my Father in heaven showed you that. So later he would say this, if any man will follow after me, let him, what? Deny himself. And, and take up his cross. There's a cost. And follow me. Where? Wherever. Follow me. Deny yourself. Take your cross. And follow me. The gospel call is what? It is a call, as Romans 12 says, that you present your whole bodies, everything. You present your whole bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. Hear me clearly. The call to follow Jesus is a call to give everything to follow Him. Holding nothing back. But all that I have and all that I am is yours. And Paul stands amazed as he sees that people really believe this and really live this way. I want to speak to you this morning on a practical outworking of this. I can count on less than one hand the number of times that I've preached this at Grace Chapel, that's why it's sort of an unnecessary sermon. Because I see it all around me in spades from this congregation. And yet, it's a very necessary sermon because we, uh, generations move on, right? And new generations spring up. I, I want to speak to you about a pr- the practical outworking of giving our all to the Lord in terms of financial giving. Never have preached this before it goes out. Because, because this church is a church that the core of its people are taken by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. You have seen that Jesus Christ, through His poverty, has made you rich. This is not the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. I'm not talking to anybody who lives in a mansion. You don't see, that's the point of 2 Corinthians actually. You don't see that He has made you, you see, you see when He said, follow me, He didn't say, I'm going to give you riches. You're following him because he's already made you rich. Right? He's already satisfied all your needs. And so I'm following him because he's satisfied everything. I'm reading a. Well, I'm going to do that right now. But ultimately, friends, that's, 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 that's the, that the whole thing of the, of the gospel is that we, we run to Christ for Christ himself. Not for what He promises that we might receive in terms of material blessings. We don't do that. But we run to Him as the treasure that is hidden and is the greatest treasure there ever been. So we sell all to take the treasure. 
Because he is the treasure. And we trust him in all his ways. Well, so Paul is seeing something in this in the church of Macedonia that had, had already started to happen well before Paul ever was a believer. In fact, while Paul was persecuting the church, going by Saul, this was happening. Let me just turn in the, for a little bit to Acts chapter 2. When you see this, Acts 2. In Acts 2, of course, this is the day of Pentecost, and Peter is, is, is preaching of Jesus, who they have rejected and killed, but that God and raised to be both Lord and Christ. He is the fulfillment of the promise to David of the forever throne of David. And Christ has been raised as the Messiah over all. He has been made both Lord and Christ. And this message is being, by the Holy Spirit, is penetrating past their, their minds. It's going deep into their heart. And they're pricked in their hearts. And they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then you see that there's this amazing um, uh, work of the Holy Spirit as, as thousands follow after Jesus Christ. And, and then notice what happens next. There is this, uh, it's, it's just, it's unspeakable change. Uh, so there, these are people who don't know each other before this day. These are people from different nations. They're all gathered in Jerusalem. People with very different interests. People from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Just completely different people. The Lord reveals Jesus to them and everything about their life and how they view life changes immediately. They begin to meet together. They begin to break bread together. Share the Lord's Supper together. Fellowship together. And you know what happens when you start fellowshipping together? You start actually learning about each other. And you know what happens when you learn about each other? You learn about needs. And I want you to see the effect of the gospel here. Listen, there is no compulsion for this. What happens next to? This is not a principle that every church in the days to come were to follow. This is just what happened here. There were needs. Listen to this. And this is verse 45. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and good and parted them to all men as every man had need. Do you understand how nuts that is? It's just stunning. It's unspeakable. In Acts 4, now they've moved along for a few days and weeks and the pressure is intensifying. As this gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading across Jerusalem and people are changing and turning and persecution begins to set in and they are beaten and they are threatened by the authorities that are there. And so the pressure cooker has grown and increased and they can't go to the government for help because the government's against them. You know, that's sort of our solution today, right? There's a need. What's the government got to offer? How can we get the help from the government? Well, they can't, that's not an option. So they're under pressure. They're being persecuted. 
People are under great duress. Listen to verse 34. Listen to verse 33, first of all. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Let me just say a word. Modern Christianity has completely messed up this whole financial thing. When people see churches, oftentimes they see robbers, right? Somebody who's desperate to get in my pocket. And so the theme almost becomes, how can I get into your pocket? Here's a different different way. They testified of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're preaching the gospel. And great grace came upon them all. And what was the effect of that? Well, they became very spiritual. They started wearing starched white shirts. Stopped dancing. Friends, sometimes we have reduced what it looks like to follow Christ to this formula that may just be whited sepulchers. Their hearts were opened to the needs of one another. Listen to this next verse. This doesn't seem to follow. This is a gospel text. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. Neither, that's the next word, neither was there any among them that lacked. Isn't that amazing? For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. And they laid them down at the apostles' feet and the apostles built mansions and got jets. No, no. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Isn't that amazing? What is the effect of the Lord showing you that we have been made rich? People that are... Well, let's... let's so, we, so we don't know about the people that, that sold. No, they had some lands and possessions. Let me move to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here's what we know. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is what Paul is exulting in. Listen to this. Remember, we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about the call of the gospel to follow Jesus... Listen to verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. That's the key, right? They gave, so, so they said, hey, we got a need. And you go, well, they should, have been, they should have been more financially responsible 10 years ago. They should have built their 401k better. Or they should, they should go to the government so they can find for help. Now, but here, here's, 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 here's what happened here. They had already given themselves to the Lord. What does that mean? They give themselves to the Lord. Lord, I'm yours. All of me is yours. And here's the beauty of the Lord. The Bible is also filled 
with admonitions about things like personal personal um, um, responsibility, saving, working, looking at the ant, and how they gather of not owing any man anything. The Bible is filled with wisdom on personal fiscal responsibility. Praise the Lord for that. This is not adversarial to that. But here's a bigger principle. The reason that I want to follow the Bible's commands to work and to be responsible is because I have given myself to the Lord. I'm His. I'm His. All of me is His. I belong to Him. He (laughs) stooped down in poverty that I might be made rich with righteousness and wisdom and sanctification and redemption and hope and joy and diligence and repentance and, and, and a work ethic. Or self-discipline. So they gave themselves to the Lord, Paul says, and then unto us by the will of God. They gave themselves to the apostles and said, listen, direct us. Show us where the needs are. So that, so that, and I may have to struggle to find this. Let's see if I can find it right now. Um, oh, goodness. Somewhere in here it says, uh, I've lost it. But somewhere in here it says that they, they, they gave not out of their heavy-filled coffers, but they gave out of their poverty. Isn't that amazing? So these are poor people. Helping other poor people. By the way, if you just move through the geography of this, this started in Jerusalem with the people in Jerusalem helping one another out, and now this moved forward several years, and the people in Jerusalem are in need of help, and the churches of Macedonia are helping out the people in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? It's it's like a cycle, isn't it? It seems like that might be organized. Maybe there's the Holy Spirit of God who's working in the hearts of His people to sustain His people, and maybe Psalm 23 is true. Maybe the Lord really is our shepherd. Maybe we really won't lack. Maybe goodness and mercy might pursue His people forever through far and and, and unthought of ways. Maybe. Maybe the Lord will save the people for Himself and open up their hearts to be generous and to be givers and to be lovers of more than just their own selves. Just maybe. Yes, maybe. Yes, really, we see it here happening here. Now, my outline's all messed up. I'm just kind of preaching off the cuff here. So I want to say a few things right now. Okay? This, this, this spirit of generosity, the spirit of giving, the spirit of seeing myself as belonging to the Lord is the work of God. It's a Holy Spirit regenerating work. No truly free-hearted, generous person is that of themselves. Right? Generosity comes, a true spirit of generosity comes from God working us in the spirit to trust in Jesus Christ. It's an act of faith. I don't have time to, we sort of did this a little bit in the message the first of December. You might go back and listen to that again, but I would love to walk through chapters 8 and 9. But let me just, just suffice it to say this, it is an act of faith. It is an act of faith to give. 
It is a trust that God is going to provide for my needs. Let me just read this to you. Verses, chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. What that means is this. God is able to work in you, that you're able to do good works and still have enough to survive. Praise the Lord for that. Isn't that amazing? God's working here, friend. He's able to do that. All right. Now, I want to give you just a few principles of giving uh, in the New Testament. Here they are. First of all, and I'm just going to run through these fast. First of all, they're every child of God's duty. So I am speaking this, 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 after, this morning to every single person who's a lover of Jesus Christ. Okay? Second Corinthians 9, 7 says every man. First Corinthians 16, verse 2 says every one of you. It is a, it is a duty. <laughs> I, I, I love that word in terms of what Christ has done in us. He has linked. So, so duty to give in the... Um, there's always been a duty to give to God. But it became very deadened in the Old Testament, didn't it? In Malachi, as he's just finishing out that chapter, he says, listen, you've robbed me. Because it was just a duty. It's just something they, they just did, but they didn't want to do it. I, I love the idea of duty when it's been enlivened by the Holy Spirit of God. So the duty and joy run right together. But it is a duty of every single one of us who are part of the family of God to be givers. Number two. There is a freedom. This is the New Testament. There's a freedom in giving. Let me just read this to you. Think of this 9, verse 7. I love this. Every man, okay, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, it's the rules, not grudgingly, or of necessity. What that means is that you're not being compelled. There's not somebody standing around there with their hand around your neck saying, Give! For God loveth a cheerful giver. This is a work of the heart. This is how much do you see that God has done for you in Christ? That's the compulsion. It's an internal compulsion. It's a compulsion of joy. It's not an external somebody standing there with their magnifying glass over you saying, are you a giver or are you a taker? Friend, the truth of the matter is we are all givers and takers. We have taken from Jesus. And oftentimes we take from one another as well. I have been on the receiving end of so many gifts from God's people through the years, both financial and even the the greater ones have been just... um, just the gifts of prayer and exhortation and comfort and rebuke and encouragement. But I am a taker 100%. And I want to be a giver 100% as well. Right? Alright, so there's freedom. There's freedom as God has prospered you. As God has, 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 spoken, has, has worked in you. Next, next, Romans 12 verse 8 must be given with simplicity. Okay? Giving must be done with simplicity. Here's what that means. It means with integrity. With integrity. So both the giving must be with integrity. An example of that would be Ananias and Sapphira. Right? Remember that in Acts 5? They were not compelled to give their whole land. They weren't. But they said they had. They were looking for something more than, the, than just to serve God. They were looking for the approval of man. 
And they got struck down dead. So Acts 2, everybody's giving. Acts 4, they're persecuted, everybody's giving. Acts 6, deacons are created to make sure the giving is being done with, with, with integrity and without partiality. But in Acts 5, they're burying Ananias and Sapphira because they had given and lied about it. Lying to the Holy Ghost. So it must be done with integrity. Next, it must be done regularly. First Corinthians 16, verse 2, the first day of the week, it says there, but just regularly. And next, it must be, must be done cheerfully. Cheerfully. God loveth a cheerful giver. Okay? Now, I am almost out of time. So I'm going to just mention two other things and then close with why I'm talking about this today. Okay? I want to emphasize the joy of giving. The joy of giving. Jesus, or, or Paul says in Acts 20, it is, actually quoting Jesus, says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me make a comment about that real quick. Hear me closely here, because those who are on the receiving end often struggle with this. When they hear it is more blessed to to give than receive, they hear there's something bad about receiving. That's not what this is saying. Friend, to be a part of the cycle of God working to provide for His own through others is amazing. To be able to receive is an amazing blessing. It's, it, 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 if, if there is nobody receiving, there's no joy in being able to give. How do you see the work of Jesus in, embodied in the people that he's redeemed? Okay? So it's not a curse to receive. Don't rob the givers from the joy of giving by being so... Resistant to receiving. You are a part of what God is doing in receiving. It's just a greater joy to be able to give. That's it. That's all it's saying. It's a greater joy. There's joy on both ends. There's a greater joy. Now, let me just tell you this as well. This is very important. The, God's economy of giving. Okay? I'm not going to read it. But God's economy of giving is found in Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. This is God's economy. Jesus is sitting by the treasury watching how people give. Isn't that interesting? He's sitting by the treasury watching how people give. And he, he sees, so that, to tell you something, Jesus is watching how you give. He's interested in your heart, isn't he? So Jesus sees this, these people with a lot come and give a lot. And then he sees this widow come and give like, our economy won't, won't really connect with this, but something like a third of a penny. <laughs> a mite. And he said, this widow has given more than all the people who've come to give this treasury. Because she gave all she had. In other words, he saw her heart. She gave far less. There's not going to be any kind of a nameplate with her name on the, on the box. 
Half the, half the property for this church was given by Miss Widow so-and-so and her three mites. No, it's not going to be there, is it? It's not. But Jesus says this is deeper and more significant. Because she gave all she had. I want everyone to hear that. As you give financially an acts of service, you know, the elderly need to hear that. There are a lot of times when the elderly cannot do anything except sit in their chair and pray. And I want you to know Jesus is watching how you do that. And Jesus may be saying, that is more significant than any other work you've ever done. Because you're giving all you have. Okay? So this is the economy. Now, next, very quickly, I just want to mention this. Go read this, Luke 12, 15-34. Here's the, here's, the, here's the outline title, The Danger of Covetousness. Okay? The Danger of Covetousness. Now, as you read this story, what you're going to think is this, wow, that is a very responsible person. This is a man who saves, that's good. He's gathering for the future, that's good. <laughs> he, he, he's, he's filling his barns, that's good. But he's only filling his own barns. He's only focused on him, his own self. So you may be a very financially responsible person today and still be very guilty of covetousness. You may be a giver and be guilty of covetousness if your heart and your thoughts are all turned towards yourself. Okay? You'll never hear me criticize vacations or criticize houses or cars, you won't hear me do that, I will always say, where's your heart? Okay? So the danger of covetousness, be, 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 be careful with that. Jesus says in that passage that we're to give much less thought to our own things and much more thought to the kingdom of God. And he will provide. Now, here's the last part, but please listen to the last part. Why are we giving? Okay? Why give? And, and I'll just say this in a very broad way. Listen, please hear this last part. It's all about the gospel of Christ. It's, 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 we talk a lot about the proclamation of the gospel and evangelism, and that's all true. But, but, but I'm not going to mention that today. It's about the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ? He became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. So you're going to see passages all through the New Testament like Galatians 2 that says, make sure you remember the poor. Okay? Now let me give you a a specific as we close. In, In 1 Timothy 5, it's a very interesting chapter. But in 1 Timothy 5, Paul is instructing Timothy about making sure that the gospel of Christ is being lived out in real practical terms, in real people's lives, in terms of the care of widows. Okay? So there's a very interesting discussion about widows and how the younger widows should probably look to marry again. And it talks about how those in the family are to provide for the, the, the needs of their own family. But then it mentions a category of widows 
that are to come under the care of the church. And they're called here widows that are widows indeed. Okay? And it defines widows that are widows indeed. Verse 3 says you are to honor widows that are widows indeed. Honor means to care for, to support, to make sure that they're cared for. It defines them. It says if you have you know, children and family, that children and family should, should step up. Isn't this amazing? You know, the, the Bible didn't assume that we would all be um, provided for by a big brother. Didn't assume that. In fact, the Bible says most of the, the big brothers would be against us. The Bible assumes there would be, be, be fathers who are workers, mothers who are caring for their children, and churches that were lo- loving one another and caring for one another. And, and I don't know what the future will hold, but I would not be surprised if our economy gets more and more challenged, if we don't have more and more opportunities to look like the book of Acts, I really wouldn't be surprised. And I'm 100% confident that in that time, if it came to that, everyone's needs would be supplied out of the hearts of those whom God has brought us together by His Spirit to be a part of the family of God. And a local church of God. Praise the Lord for that. We're not there yet. But where we are is we are in the middle of real life. And in real life there are deaths and there are widows and there are needs. And so he defines what a widow is. So the church should take care of a widow as a widow indeed. Here's some, here's some defining characteristics. Verse 5 says, She that is a widow indeed and desolate. That just means destitute. There's need. Here's some more characteristics. She trusteth in God. That's interesting, isn't it? You trust in God. There's a lady who's destitute. She's not able to care for herself anymore. Her husband is gone. She's not able to work. Yet she's trusting in God. Well, where might God supply needs from? Well, he's done it through a raven before. Done it through a prophet to show up and make this, this batch of oil and meal keep on rolling. And he does it through real people in churches. That's the common way. The raven's the uncommon way. Here's another characteristic, verse 5. She continues in supplication and prayers night and day. This is a faithful prayer warrior. This is a spiritually minded person. Verse, um, verse 9 says, Let not a widow be taken to the number under three score years old. So she's over 60 years old. In other words, she's, she's, she's advancing in years. She's not able to go out and work anymore. Having been the wife of one man, that means she'd been a faithful wife. Verse 10 says, well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, she have lodged strangers. If she have washed the saints' feet, if she served others. If she have relieved the afflicted. If she have diligently followed every good work. This is a spiritual-minded person who has tried to follow the Lord and loved others and served others, and now they find themselves in a place they can't work any, any longer, and they're in need. And God says to the church, remember 
that he who was rich became poor so that we through his poverty might be made rich. Now, the goal of this message is really twofold. I want you to threefold. I want you to rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ every single Sunday. I hope you've done that. Secondly, I want every one of us who are younger to older to understand our, our duty as the children of God is to live out the gospel by, by being givers. Okay? If you can't give much, that's fine. The widow's mind. But be a giver. Be a first fruit giver. The last thing is, I'm going to send you an email this week to put more specific legs on the last part of that sermon. I want you to be praying over that and thinking about that and seeing how God would stir your heart for us to be able to step up in the way that he is designed to care for those who are in need, who he has brought into our number, remembering that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the, the attention of the church. It's always an uncomfortable thing to talk about money, but, but it was not today, Lord. Thank you for that. It was very comfortable to talk about the gospel of Christ and how it stirs us to see who we are and then to be stirred to, to, uh, to follow you wherever you take us. So thank you for that. And may we, may we be uh, those who are true givers. In Jesus' name and amen.